Hi, La Jolla Community Church. Do you believe in miracles? Because we do. So join us on December 11th from 5 to 7 p.m. for the Believe in Miracles Christmas experience. Enjoy twinkling lights, a live nativity scene, and bring a donation to benefit the San Diego Rescue Mission. With every donation, you can get a warm beverage or a treat from our Christmas store. So invite a friend, walk through some falling snow, and get in the holiday spirit. We hope to see you there. Are you between sixth grade and 12th grade? If so, you should join us on December 14th from 6.30 to 8.30 for the Youth Christmas Party. Come enjoy games, food, and our white elephant gift exchange. The limit is $10, so gifts that are the sillier, the better. See you there. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are going to get started with some worship, so you're invited to stand if you're able. Beyond all measure, 
morning, La Jolla Community Church. You may be seated. I hope everybody is staying nice and warm on this chilly, wintry weather here in sunny San Diego, California. How's everybody doing this morning? We all warm and toasty? We waited for the winter season. I love seeing the church decorated like this. It is absolutely beautiful. You know, when I was in college, uh, I was interviewed and asked, how do you know that it's Christmas in your house? And the answer that I always give in my house when I was growing up, I always knew it was Christmas because it would start to smell like pumpkin in the house. Every year, my mom bakes dozens and dozens of loaves of this chocolate chip pumpkin bread that is just to die for. I'm hoping that Haley and I can snag a couple of loaves this year. She tends to give them out. So if you see me looking a little pudgier this Christmas season, it's because Ryan ate one or two extra pumpkin loaves. But I hope everybody is doing wonderful this morning and feeling the Christmas spirit. My name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the director of youth ministries here at La Jolla Community Church, and I want to thank you so much for choosing our church on this Christmas season. Well, first and foremost, on your way in, you should have received one of our lovely little bulletins. If you notice on the front and back, that top half is a little announcement. We would love if you take that top half, fold it in half, and that top part comes off. We would love that you take this top part home, Give it to somebody. Invite somebody to some of the wonderful things that are going on here at this Christmas season. We're going to be throwing a lot of fun stuff at you the next few weeks. And if you would like to participate or bring somebody along with you, we would love to have them join us. So take this home. Invite them to our little miracles event that's going to be happening next Saturday. We would love to have you be a part of it. But take this home. Invite somebody to something wonderful here at La Jolla Community Church. On that bottom half, we would love to have you fill out on this first side. It says get connected with us. This is our connect card here at La Jolla Community Church. This is how we get you plugged in and involved in some of our wonderful ministries like our Believe in Miracles event that it's happening. So if you would like to be a part of some of the wonderful things going on here, please take a moment, fill out that Connect card, let us know how we can get you engaged and plugged in this Christmas season. And then on the back side, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes the Christmas season can be difficult for some people. Sometimes it reminds you of all the things that you don't have, of all the things that you've missed. Maybe this Christmas season is a little extra difficult for you. You're having to miss out on some traditions that maybe you've loved in the past. Please take a moment, fill out that prayer card. Let us know how we can love and support you, how we can come alongside you and love on you this Christmas season, because that is what we believe in here at La Jolla Community Church. My favorite thing that I get to do every single week is pray individually over every single prayer request that comes in. If you've got something that you would like loved on, if you've got a little, you need a little extra strength this week, you need a little extra finance for this Christmas season, write it down. Let us know how we can pray for you. Let us know how we can love on you. And then on your way out, take that connect card, take that prayer card, along with the offering envelope that should be in the front, uh, in the seat back directly in front of you. And you can drop those off on your way out. There's a box mounted on the wall here in the sanctuary, as well as for everybody in the Welcome Center. Thank you all so much for joining us. Well, hope everybody has a wonderful Sunday. We thank you so, so, so much for coming in and staying warm with us this morning. And with that, I would love to invite Pastor Steve up to lead us in a message. Thank you all so much. Have a wonderful Sunday. Ryan, well, thank you, and happy anniversary to you and Haley. First anniversary, that's pretty exciting. Wow, wow. Uh, we will call her St. Haley from now on and uh, in due recognition. Fantastic. Ah, I love that music. Thank you very, very much. Really good. It's amazing. When you guys lip sync, it seems so real. It just seems so, that was powerful. That was fantastic. Thank you. Well, uh, I want to ask you a big personal question here. Are you creative? Are you one of those creatives that they talk about sometimes? You know, they talk about the creatives. And have you ever wondered who they're talking about? Uh, when media refers to the creatives, and it's like, wait, I didn't get the invitation or the memo. So is this some group that I'm not a part of? And of course, the creatives tend to be the people who produce media. 
kind of a small uh, self-congratulatory community, apparently. Uh, they, whatever they create, they are the creatives. But, you know, I want you to, to, to leave here today. First of all, I want you to leave here today. And then secondly, I, when you leave here today, I want you to leave here today with a whole new sense of you as a creative. That you are a creative. Why? Well, first of all, because you're created in the image of God, who is creative. And so uh, we're going to be exploring in our theme of Advent, uh, that Jesus is the hope of the world, a bunch of things, several things, uh, that, that describe why Jesus is the hope of the world. And today we're focusing on, on his creativity, which means we end up talking a little bit about ours, because having been made in the image of God, and how that happened, how he made us in his image, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but just take that as a starting point, that you're made in the image of God, who is creative. And at the end of his creation, he said, it's good. At the end of creating human beings, he said, it's good, good in Hebrew. It's very good. And so we see that God's love is expressed in his creation. Just taking a walk uh, down the beach, uh, looking up into the night sky, uh, you can't help but think, God must have had a great time creating all this stuff. It's just fantastic. I mean, the clockwork, the precision of creation is stunning. Uh, have you ever played that game where you're someplace where there's low ambient light so you can see the stars blazing in the sky? Do you ever say, I'm not going to leave here until I see a shooting star? Have you ever done that? If not, you need to get out more, really, seriously, because uh, it's like clockwork. You see a shooting star. If you just wait long enough, it might take several minutes, and you might see it peripherally, see a little, oh, there it is. And they don't really announce themselves or linger, but you see it. And it, it, somehow, every time I, I, I see that, it just moves me. And sometimes I see these really slow-motion moving stars. They go like this across the sky, and I realize, ah, oh, it's a satellite. It's not quite as impressive as a real shooting star. And when you think about that shooting star, we call it a shooting star, it's a dying star. It's the last vestiges of what was a star, right? Because what we're seeing is light that started somewhere else a long time ago. And on this long trajectory through the universe... It enters our atmosphere, and, and we see the flare, and it's gone. It's just awesome. Anyway, that's all I want to say today. Let's wrap it up and have hot chocolate and go hang out in the, in the patio. Well, so um, we, we, we also see God's creativity in the elements of what we call Advent, uh, the arrival of God into the world he created. Uh, and if you're new to this, uh, you're going to hear so many terms and hear me say things like everybody understands this and believes this. Um, and I, if, if any of this is so new to you that you say, I, I, half the time I was trying to figure out what you meant, uh, and the other half was, do I really agree with any of it? I'd love to have another conversation with you uh, over a cup of coffee just about what we do here. Because there's a lot of vocabulary that comes with faith that you accumulate over a period of time. It becomes so much a part of who you are that you speak in it. And the people who are new to it are like, what are you talking about? Advent. I, I don't get it. An ad event? Is like a sale? Uh, no, it's, it's just a whole um, way of describing God coming into the world that he created. And you see the creative elements in, in him entering into the world. Uh, I mean, first of all, Matthew and Luke's genealogies. Uh, we get most of what we know is a Christmas story in Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. And both of them give us genealogies. I won't go into all the details on that, but Matthew's genealogy 
uh, gives you uh, his, Jesus' lineage from Adam <laughs> to Jesus uh, through Joseph. And Luke's genealogy gives you uh, another version of the genealogy, and, and what we think is that's Mary's genealogy, for some obvious reasons if you think about uh, the birth of, of Jesus. So just that alone, to think that God has created the world and then anticipating his recreation of the world because of our rebellion against him, and he promises at that point of that rebellion uh, when sin came into the world from some choices we made, he says, it's not over. I'm going to save these people. I'm going to crush the one who led them to evil. And then the genealogy, in a sense, charts that. And, then, and you think, wow, to think that you have planned something so far in advance, that's creative. It's so creative. Then there's a dramatic tension in the story itself. An angel announcing... Uh, to a priest, you're going to have a son who becomes John, John the Baptist. And then an angel announcing to a young woman, Mary, that she's going to have a son who will be the Savior. Uh, and, and it's the original Hail Mary, right? Hail Mary, full of grace. He, he, the angel says to her. And this strange introduction, this strange announcement, and she processes that. And then and she tells her betrothed, her fiancé, Joseph, uh, that I, I'm, I'm pregnant. Uh, in our day, I mean, the average now in Sweden, uh, couples get married after the birth of their second child. They're a very advanced culture. And, and so this was a shocking bombshell sort of thing. But Joseph has a dream. And an angel in the dream says, Joseph, this is okay. This is kosher. Go with it. And he wakes up and he's committed. It's really a short little thing, you know. I mean, not a big melodramatic. It was just a dream, and he's like, good, I'm good to go. And, and then you see all the other events related to Jesus' birth. The dramatic tension is so impressive, powerful, all part of God's creativity. So at Advent, we reflect on God coming into the world in Jesus' birth, and the question then is, well, what does Advent tell us about God, and what does Advent tell us about us? There's a message in Advent about God and who He is and what He does. There's also a message in Advent about who we are and what we were created to be and do. Uh, so let me read something out of the Bible to you. This is out of a letter to a, pe- to a group of people who lived in a small town called Colossi in what we know now as Turkey, a very beautiful uh, part of Turkey. Turkey is a gorgeous country, by the way. I've never been to Turkey, but all the pictures I've seen of it, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Going through massive problems right now. Uh, but in what looks like a very challenging place to live, people have been very creative in making a life there. And so the Apostle Paul, who is, who is Jewish, is writing to some people in Colossae, most of whom would be Gentiles, non-Jews. And, he, and, and in this letter, in chapter, we call them chapters, we've divided the Bible into chapters and verses, but in what was just a letter, uh, he says this, the son, referring to Jesus... The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. The firstborn doesn't mean he was created, conceived and born in that sense. It means he's the preeminent one. He's the first. He's a category of one. For in him all things were created. 
oh, wait a minute. If God created all things, according to Genesis, and now we, say, we see that Jesus, it was through Jesus that all things were created, we're getting this hint that, wow, maybe Jesus is God. He's called the Son, but maybe that's just a, a language way of saying you have God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden some theology is leaking out here uh, that Paul will build on in his subsequent letters to other churches. So for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, things you can see, things you can't see, things that you, you need a, a, a microscope to see, things that you need a telescope to see, the big universe that God has created. But all of it, the visible, the invisible, was created by him and, and through Christ. It goes on, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Apparently, again, more theology rolling out here, apparently all things were created to serve God, to express God's intentions and purposes for his creation. And remember, it was all good. So this is a good thing rolling out here. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. Apparently, you know, Paul uses this great analogy, metaphor. We're a body. We're all the parts of the body, and Jesus is the head. And every part has a purpose. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, to make all things right, to bring all things back into proper alignment and, and a, a living, authentic relationship with him. Whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. So this idea of God embodying himself, incarnating, becoming a human being, is essential and central to his salvation and reconciliation of this fallen world. If you're not following me, uh, just keep listening and eventually it'll, something will make sense to you. If this is all familiar to you and you think, well, get to the point. I, get, I already know this. All right, well, the point being that if we just skim over this, we miss the creative insight into who God is and who we're meant to be. That's why we keep re referring to this stuff week in and week out. And why there's a sense in which it sets us up for a false sense of I know it all. I've heard that. Oh yeah, that's familiar. I know that. I can even find Colossians 1, 15 to 23. This is the challenge of knowing something a little bit. A little knowledge is a dangerous thing, right? Once you start drinking it in, drink deeply. So he says, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel... This is what it means to grow into maturity and what we understand about who God is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he's going to do. This is the process that you are in. If you have a faith in Christ, 
then you're called to continue in that faith, being ever more established and firm, not stuck, but established and firm, stable, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. Don't let anybody rob you of this legacy that God has bequeathed to you in Christ, is what Paul's saying. Well, so Jesus is the hope of the world. How so? Well, if I was going to summarize what I just read out of Scripture, I'd say, well, several things. All things were created through Christ. Therefore, he possesses authority. I want to talk to the boss right now. I'm the boss. I created everything. Thoughts on that? This was the conversation between Job and God. You know, I'm a little discouraged here and and frustrated that, you know, okay, where were you when I made the creation? Well, that's a whole other. No, no, that is the point. Where were you? What do you know about your own creation? What do you know about my purposes? And after all of his well-intended but distracting friends were done, and Job now is just overwhelmed in his grief and pain, loss, you can understand why, he has this conversation with God, and God says, let me explain things to you. Of course, the, rec- the, 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 the outcome of that, the re- resolution of that is Job says, oh my gosh. And he moves from accusing God to praising God. So all things were created through Christ. He possesses authority. He is the ultimate authority, the supremacy of Christ. All things hold together in Christ. All things hold together in Christ. If you, do you study physics? You want to wonder what those four forces and the other forces that we're trying to understand more, more fully that, that hold the universe together? <laughs> He's the one who holds it all together. You know, the electromagnetism, gravity, the strong force, the weak force, it's him that holds it all together. And these forces that we define, describe, are simply expressions of him holding the whole world together. And therefore he has credibility. He can do what he says he can do. And then we see his third thing, all things are reconciled by Christ. Not only were we created through him and, and we're held together by him, we were reconciled by him. And what does that tell us about him? Well, that he possesses humility and vulnerability. Humility. God becomes a human being. The artist enters into his or her work. Oh my gosh, that's humble. And vulnerability. You're going to, okay, let me understand. You're going to go to the world. I'm, I'm assuming the heavenly host will be with you. No, 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 just me. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to be born as a baby. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That, you know, a lot of them don't survive. I know, I know. And then I'm going to tell the people, and I'm going to proclaim and teach and demonstrate the kingdom of God, my kingdom. It's not going to go well. I know, I know. I will sacrifice myself. What? I'm going to defeat death and sin on the cross. But what if, right? He's, he's humble and vulnerable. Think about that. Authority, credibility, humility, vulnerability. Would you love every leader you know to possess those qualities? Hey, what's your new boss like? Oh my gosh, she's amazing. She's, got, she's comfortable with her authority. She has real credibility. She's humble and she's vulnerable. Oh my gosh. Is she a nurse or preschool teacher? What? Now she's this high-powered CEO in this company. Now she's my attorney. She's my physician. She's my, you know, the pilot of, my, of the plane I just flew in. I mean, you know, you, you describe any leader. You'd say, oh, that's the person we want on our team. The one who is comfortable in authority, credibility, humility, and vulnerability. 
Well, so it goes on. That's why Jesus is the hope of the world. But, but here's how he, in a sense, continues to be the hope of the world. Uh, so I'm going to put two scriptures together now to give you a sense of perspective. The first one is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then John, the Gospel of John, John, one of Jesus' disciples, he then writes about his experience with Jesus. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning, you know, same word, right? It's written in Greek, but the Hebrew would better sheet. In the beginning is now uh, in Greek, in the beginning. Oh my gosh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Oh my. God is recreating the world. Now if you're of a certain age, uh, there's a, a, um, a Joni Mitchell song that Crosby, Souls and Nash made famous called Woodstock. And it says, we are stardust, we are golden, but we have a problem. We're caught in the devil's bargain. We've got to get back to the garden. I'm sorry, there's no going back to the garden. That option is not available to us. Uh, When God said, you're leaving the garden, uh, he put a fiery sword uh, in in the pathway to re-entering the garden. The garden is closed. It's off limits. Have you ever been to Oxford uh, in the, the Harry Potter Dining Room College? Christ uh, uh, College has this massive, beautiful meadow. It's just spectacular. And you go to the gateway into the meadow. It's got this massive sign that tells you all the things you cannot do in this garden. And you're looking for, is it okay to breathe? Uh, is it okay to, you know, do I have to levitate across it? Um, <laughs> there's no going back to the garden. Done. But the good news is God is recreating He's redeeming all creation. So what began in Genesis is in a sense being rebooted. It's not a do-over as much as it is a continuation of God's creative purposes. Have you ever thought of it that way before? We're not going back to the garden. We're going to a new heaven and a new earth. And of course, the way it's described at the end of Revelation, it's it's garden-like. A river runs through it, which is my favorite phrase. If you ever saw the movie, a river runs through it. Oh my gosh. Powerful. So he isn't going back to the drawing board, but carrying his creation forward. This isn't a workaround. Oh, okay, that didn't work. Let me see if I can get this right. It's him creatively working to bring order out of chaos. He already has done that, and he continues to do that. He's bringing chaos to order in you. Your chaos is is just material for him to say, let's create some order here. So we're not returning to the garden. We're moving toward creation's redemption. Uh, By the way, here's a working definition of creativity. I said at the beginning, are you creative? And I said, really, you are, whether you realize it or not. Creativity is work done by someone qualified, motivated, and invested in solving a problem, meeting a need, or pursuing a compelling vision. I'll give you one small example from an unnamed prison in America. An inmate who was there for life loves cheesecake, and apparently they do not serve it in prison. 
But what this enterprising fellow has figured out is, that, hey, you can get any kind of contraband you want in a prison. Drugs, guns, phones. You can create accounts. You can run whole conglomerates of crime from prison. So he figured out, I, I, I bet there's a way to make cheesecake here. And this is a true story that he figured out that if he collects the pats of butter from enough guys, hey, man, I want your butter. Don't hurt me, man. It's yours. And he sees the Jewish guys. He goes, hey, I need that cream cheese. Sure, what do you trade me for it? Here, here's some smokes. Okay. Then he, then he, and then he, and then he works with the guy in the kitchen, and then he, and he has to figure out how to cook it, so he figures out how to cook it, then he has to cool it, and he figures out how to cool it. And all the people he's paid off, bribed, part, invited to participate, all gather around surreptitiously, and they get a slice of cheesecake. The guard gets a slice of cheesecake. Everybody gets the, the fruit of his creativity. Why? Because he's qualified. How so? He loves cheesecake. He's eaten a lot of cheesecake. I think I can figure out how to make this thing. And, you know, you can get a recipe almost anywhere on anything, right? He's motivated. He's invested in solving a problem and meeting his need and pursuing a compelling vision. Do you see why you are creative? Put your life circumstances in that description. And this is just my working definition. You could probably come up with a better one, but you get the point. These are the elements that make creativity work. Michelangelo. Uh, what do we do with a big chunk of marble? That's not marble. That's a statue waiting to get out. My, my, my bad, my mistake. Where do you want the big chunk of statue trying to get out? And he just started looking at it, right? This is what a painter does. I, I love the idea that a painter just looks at all these colors and says, I need this kind of blue because the light is doing this at this time of day. I'm like, oh my gosh. Creativity, powerful. Everybody here would say their favorite, almost everybody here would say their favorite cook was their mom. It's an expression of creativity. She might not have liked it. She might have followed a recipe. But the fact is she created something for you that, that sustained you. So Jesus is creative. You're creative. His creativity is perfect. It's personal. And it's good. Right? It's not impersonal. Uh, we, we sub that out. No. It's personal. <laughs> It's good. It's intentional. It's not accidental. He demonstrates perseverance and discipline in fulfilling his creative vision. This is why it's not silly to, to refer to Jesus as a creative. He created us for community, one built on trust with him and one another. That's pretty creative. Hey, what would we hold a community together? Fear, intimidation, coercion. That works pretty good. Move to D.C., you'll have a career. Move to any place where people think power is what they lead, need to lead with. You've seen people with, under the color of authority use their power and misuse their power. You've seen people with, with all kinds of you know, signifiers saying, I'm an officer, I'm a boss, I'm a, and they use their powers in beautiful ways with humility, vulnerability, credibility, right? Trust is the only thing that holds a community together. So think about God's genius creative move there. I'm going to build people with a capacity to trust. Now, sin erodes that, destroys that, distorts that, so we, we, we have a hard time trusting. But God created us 
with that capacity so we can be a community. And this community and this whole creation reveals a sublimely ordered harmony and complexity. It all kind of fits together. How can water be water and air be air? How does that work? There's air in the water, but if you go deep enough, there's not enough air, so things change as you go deeper. Oh, and there's less light. Oh, but look, there's things living down there that don't need the light and don't need as much air. I mean, how, how can you go from aerobic to anaerobic? I mean, all these amazing things that are harmonious and complex. And then we look at creation. It's inherently meaningful. It's, there's a joyfulness about it. You can't tell me when you see a pot of, of dolphin or porpoises that they're not having a good day. Now, this is anthropomorphic, I realize, but if you're on a ship and you see them, everybody's smiling. Oh, look, they're smiling at me. <laughs> right, sure. He gave Adam and Eve a significant calling for self-care and creation care. That's creative. I'm going to give you a responsibility, a, a, a stake in this, a share in this, a purpose in this, a responsibility in this, the pride of ownership in this. He anticipated the potential for good and evil choices. How so? He said, don't eat from this. There's a moral order here, and because I'm making you to be free, you have to choose. Oh my gosh, that's scary. Wouldn't it be better to make creatures that do everything you want them to do? I guess, but they wouldn't be capable of being in relationship, and they certainly wouldn't be free. He anticipated that. Freedom requires that. Sin wasn't a, de- a design flaw. Oh, darn it. That was plan B now. Let's go to plan A. No. Sin was not a design flaw. It was a choice made by people with God-given agency. Adam and Eve were created perfectly good and compromised their calling. Tragically, we now suffer disharmony, enemy, decay, and death. Enemy. Do you know the word enemy? I love that word, enemy. Uh, it's from the uh, anomos, uh, against the law. Enemy. It sounds like a word you talk about people being oh, depressed. Oh, they're suffering from anime. It is kind of like that because when you reject God's authority and reject his law, his standards, you are bummed out. And life doesn't work very well. And it hardens your heart and makes you angry because then you have to spend all your time justifying why it's okay for you to do that. So anime is this vicious cycle that all of us can experience easily. So we suffer disharmony in creation, anime, decay, death. Are you familiar with the phrase original sin? Uh, it, it's, it's a phrase from Augustine. Uh, Augustine was trying to make the point that why, is everybody, why does everybody sin? Everybody has the capacity to sin. Uh, it, it basically, it means that everyone born after Adam and Eve is born with a built-in propensity to sin. You don't have to, but we choose to. We just find it convenient somehow for some reason. The littlest child. Um, a baby learns to cry in a way that manipulates parents. Oh, there's that cry, I'm in pain. Oh, there's no reason for them to be in pain. That's a cry for hunger. Oh, they don't seem hungry. Well, that was, that third cry or the fourth cry, the fifth kind of cry, that's the, uh, this is that, ring the bell cry. I just need you to be here, okay? I want you to stand at the ready while you're holding me, and I'll think about something that I might need. Samuel Clements said, I, I remember my first spanking dimly. Uh, I gave the cry that said, I've got a pin stuck in me through the diaper, and when 
my mother realized the pin was not stuck in me, I got another sense of shock when I got a spanking. As a baby, he was caught out lying, right? He was talking about when he told his first lie. It was a baby faking the cry that I needed something when really I just wanted the power of calling you in. All of us have that capacity. There's nothing original or creative about sin, though, right? Nothing original or creative about sin, even though we call it original sin. It's a corruption of creation. It's unoriginal, unimaginative, soul-crushing, disheartening. Sin makes us bitter, not better. Nobody's ever gone to the doctor or to a psychologist or to an attorney or anybody with authorities and had them say, what you really need here is more crime. You've got to have more selfishness, I'm telling you right now. You've got to learn how to lie better. The saddest thing I read this week was a description of that young boy, 15 years old, whose parents bought him a gun and he used it to kill some other kids. And a teacher found him, you know, uh, looking at bullets and then drawing pictures of a bullet with blood on it. And, and the mom finds out about it and the mom texts him in class saying, you've got to learn to lie better. Is this wacky or what? Sin doesn't improve with practice or age. So God punished sin and promised to redeem his creation in a new creation. He didn't just leave us wallowing in our sin. He said you have to leave the garden. Why? Because this is a righteous place and righteousness crushes sin. It will crush you. So you know, I'm putting you in exile but I'm not abandoning you. God has never abandoned his creation. He's never abandoned you. Well, I feel like he abandoned me. A lot of people have. It's a natural human response when evil seems to be prevailing everywhere. Elie Weissel wrote a book called uh, Night. And he said, this is where I lost my faith in the camps. God abandoned me and my people. I'll never forgive him. God does not abandon us. He redeems his creation in a new creation. Yes, he gave us law. The law was to show the righteousness of God and what we were created to do and be. And Jesus' advent is a creative solution to our desperate condition. It's interesting, when Jesus announced his ministry, he quoted Isaiah 61. Let me read it to you. It's the prophet Isaiah. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Powerful. That's the message of Advent. No wonder we get creative at Christmas. When all those people 
in, in every war, heard that the war was over. They were jubilant. They were exhausted. They were impoverished. They were picking up the pieces, the tatters of their lives, but they were so relieved and jubilant that the war is over. Ding dong, the witch is dead, right? That, that, that creates an outpouring of creativity. Let's use whatever we got in any way we can to create a party, to celebrate this good thing. Yes, Christmas has been co-opted commercially and obscured in many ways. Why? Well, sin does that. Remember, in the original garden setting, we hid from God. Now we hide God from everybody else. We hide God in Christmas, <laughs> ironically, commercially. You know, you don't go to UTC and say, because of Jesus' birth, I'm here to do some shopping. Well, because of Jesus' birth, we're having a sale. You know, it doesn't happen that way, you know. Well, that's a great thing that motivates you to come in and shop with us today because in order to honor Jesus' birth, it's wonderful to give gifts. How do you want to bless people with the gift? You're, you know, none of this happens, right? It's just a commercial thing. Why? Because we've hidden Jesus in Christmas. So the idea isn't to run around and be upset. You can tell all the Christians at Christmas time, they're all the ones who are ticked off. We don't want that. They're the angry people at Christmas, the bitter people at Christmas. Rather, what we ought to be doing is saying, hey, isn't it great that we have this God-given capacity to, to celebrate and to be creative and gift-giving and eating and, and, and enjoying uh, life together. Uh, it's for me and my house, we're trying to redeem that. We're trying to get that back. Uh, we don't minimize it, you know, that Jesus' birth, but we don't overwhelm our kids or our family with just this craziness that foregoes looking at who God is. But let's not throw the baby Jesus out with the cultural bathwater. Uh, I know people who weren't allowed to celebrate Christmas, and they grew up in very strict Christian families. And uh, in one particular case, I'm thinking, you know, the family outgrew that. Their theology grew. They realized, you know what? You can't be, you don't have to have this zero-sum, all-or-nothing thing. You know, let's just find a way to, to honor God as we celebrate Christmas. And so those kids now, as adults, celebrate Christmas. But they're very mindful about how they do it. I hope you're very mindful about how you celebrate Christmas. Let's not throw the baby Jesus out with the cultural bathwater. Let's not say the culture has nothing to tell us about Christmas. Because at the heart of it, what the culture is saying is there's some big deal going on and we want to celebrate it properly. We can bring the theology to that. Why don't we? Let's keep returning to Jesus, celebrating his arrival into the world that he created and the world that he is redeeming. So I leave you with this. Uh, Where could you use God's creative touch in your life right now? Where could you use God's creative touch in your life right now? Are you trying to solve a big problem? uh, Make a big decision? Are you trying to help somebody around you that you care about deeply get their life together? Are you trying to get your life together? Are you tired of lying, cheating, stealing, denying, projecting on other people, blaming, and you're ready to take responsibility? Uh, That's a big, big uh, arena for some serious creativity. Uh, Maybe it's because your life is in a place you could have never imagined how good it could be, and you want to figure out how to leverage that to bless other people. Maybe that's where you are. That's where you need creativity and could use God's creative touch in your life right now. Uh, Embrace the creativity of others in books and songs and films and food. Uh, this is a great time to say, okay, I'm going to read a book. I'm going to listen to music. I'm going to go to a party. I'm going to have a party. Um, I'm going to do gifts differently or do them 
uh, in a way that I haven't really done it before. Uh, that's why we do the alternative gift market. At some point, what do you give people who have everything? Uh, this little card says you have been given a goat. Well, just what I needed should fit in nicely right up here uh, near the beach. Um, but rather, you know, uh, why don't we embrace the creativity of others? What are other people doing that I could emulate and benefit from in the way that I celebrate this thing? Maybe creativity uh, for you looks like I want to be benefit from the creativity of others by signing up for counseling. Uh, I want to sign up for a program that gets me out of credit card debt. I want to sign up for a program that helps me control my anger or my substance abuse. Uh, I want to sign up for a program that allows me to figure out whatever. That's how you embrace the creativity of others. There's no shame. Uh, the funny thing is, all the most successful people in the world have coaches and people doing this kind of stuff with them for them. Somehow, uh, a lot of times we conclude that, well, if I, if I ask for help, I'm, I'm conceding uh, failure. No. <laughs> what you're saying is I'm ready for the next level. I'm ready to go to a higher level of functioning. Have you ever had a voice lesson? If not, you might want to consider it. Everybody's voice can improve with a voice lesson. Is there something you want to do, but you're stuck and you're frustrated and you feel shame that you're not better at it? Either get a teacher or a better teacher. Get a coach or a new coach, right? And then how are you bringing God's creative touch with you wherever you go? What do you think God's creative touch would look like in you? Being more critical of people? Catching people doing something wrong or incorrectly? Pointing out everybody's flaws? Hey, I got some good news for you. You're a rotten sinner going to hell. Anything else I can do for you? Or maybe uh, you bring God's creative touch with you wherever you go simply by observing people and saying, thank you, please, I appreciate that. Hey, it seems like you're having a hard day. Thanks for hanging in there. Hey, is there anything I can do to help? <laughs> That's a pretty creative touch, don't you think? Every little kid says, my mom always knows what to do. She puts a Band-Aid on it. It doesn't matter if there's blood or not. A Band-Aid on it makes it better, right? A hug and a kiss, a smile, a shake of the head going, wow, you're right, that is, that is ugly. <laughs> that is hard, that is bad. Or, hey, look at that, it's progress. You know, who knew you could do that with mud all over the place? But, you know, um, right? How are you bringing God's creative trust with you wherever you go? And then finally, how can you express this in Advent, how can you express Advent in Advent in a way that would make people say, gosh, being around you makes me remember the reason for the season without getting a lecture or punishment. Somehow you bring this whole sense of Christmas back to where it should be. My final thought, my final plea, my, my final command, release your creativity. Release your creativity. Start with a prayer. Lord, show me what you've put in my hand, my heart, my head, that allows me to be creative. That is, right, something I can do because I'm qualified, motivated, invested to solve a problem, meet a need, and pursue a, comp a compelling vision. Why wouldn't you pray that? Because you're praying it to one who is creative. And he answers prayers creatively. And he raises up creative people like you. So Lord Jesus, I pray that we can be those creative people. 
that we could emulate and incarnate your creativity. Through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Through acts of compassion, gestures of love. Moments of consideration, forgiveness, healing touch. That's our prayer, Lord, especially as we come to your holy table. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So on that night that he was betrayed, several decades after his birth, Jesus, at at a meal with his disciples, laid everything out for them, most of which they didn't understand until after his death and resurrection. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. My body given for you. Eat this in this holy meal in remembrance of me. We call this meal the Eucharist. Uh, It means thanks. Uh, We call this the Lord's Supper because it emulates the dinner he had with his disciples. We call it Holy Communion because it, it invites us to draw close to God in a deeper relationship. Then he took the the cup of wine. He said, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, part of the new creation, superseding previous covenants because they're being fulfilled in what I'm going to do. Do this whenever you do this in remembrance of me. So uh, you have a communion kit. If you don't have one, raise your hand. We'll we'll get one to you. Thank you. Uh, Is there a communion kit in the back there? Bob is going to go out and get one for you. Uh, And so as you receive this, know you're receiving it because Jesus has invited you to. No matter what your status is, his invitation is what counts. His abiding presence is what makes the difference. So receive it in his name. Uh, And let's continue worshiping him together as you receive communion as we celebrate that uh, in a time of uh, continued worship. (laughs) 